0: This is the EWN Podcast Network. Do you know how often identity theft occurs? Every two seconds. Affecting even children. The great news is that you and your loved ones don't have to become the next victim. In the Cyber Mindful with Sandra podcast... We'll explore together simple practices that increase the cyber safety of you, your family, and your business. I'm your host, Sandra Esto, and I believe the key to protecting yourself from hackers, scammers, and cyber monsters is rooted in being fully present, both online and offline. This podcast is a conversation among friends. I'm delighted that you are choosing to take charge of your cyber safety because you deserve to have peace of mind online and protect what matters most to you. So let's do this together. Welcome to another episode of Cyber Mindful with Sandra podcast. Today today is one of those special days where you get to interview someone that you maybe one day dream about even even to shake his hand and I'm just being so grateful to be part of of this person lives to to have him as my coach as my mentor as I consider him my friend and someone that influenced everything that I have done since I started my journey and this dream now, I'm going to read a little bit about who he is so Jack Canfield is in the house so Jack is known as America's number one success coach. He's a best-selling author, professional speaker, trainer, and entrepreneur. He's the founder and CEO of the Canfield Training Group. He trains entrepreneurs, educators, corporate leaders, and motivated individuals how to accelerate the achievement of their personal and professional goals. Now, he has conducted live training for more than a million people and more than 50 countries around the world. He holds two Guinness World Record titles. I mean, I have never met a world winner until now. And, <laughs> and he has. he's a member of the National Speaking Association Hall of Fame. Now, you might know Jack because of his book. He has written more than 200 books, including The Success Principles, How to Get Where You Are, to where you want to be, the success principle workbook. And of course, he is very well known as the chicken soup for the soul series. I remember Sopa de Pollo para el Alma when I read this book in Spanish. It was incredible. Um, of course, that includes 40 New York Times bestsellers and has sold more than 500 million copies in 47 languages around the world. So Jack has been a featured teacher in the movie, The Secret, and has appeared in more than a thousand radio and TV shows. I'm just so grateful Jack is here with us in our podcast, sharing his wisdom with us. He's been with Oprah, with the Today Show, Fox and Larry. King's life. I mean, Jack has been everywhere. Now he's with us. So welcome, Jack.
1: My pleasure. Thank you, Sandra. I appreciate being invited.
0: I'm um, so, you know, let's start there, Jack. Like, tell us a little bit about your story. I mean, you have, I just read your bio and i think the work that you do and it always amazed me so much as you have achieved, like how, how that happened. Tell us a little bit about your journey.
1: Well, I was a typical kind of lower middle-class kid growing up in Wheeling, West Virginia. And, um, I was fortunate enough that I had a, a wealthy aunt and I had a, she had a son named Jack who died. Boy. And in his memory, she sent me to the local private school in town. It was a military school. So I got a better education than I might've if I'd been named Bill. <laughs> so <laughs> I lucked out on that level. And, uh, And then I got a scholarship to go to Harvard University, Uh and I majored in Chinese history, which has nothing to do with what I do today, but it was a good education in general things. And uh, and I went to the University of Chicago. I studied education. I trained to be a teacher. I taught in the inner cities high schools of Chicago. And I was teaching all black kids in the ghetto, and I realized they didn't believe in themselves. So I became more interested in their self-esteem and their beliefs in themselves, and I wasn't actually teaching history. I did teach African-American history, which helped build their self-esteem and all that. But very quickly, I started taking classes on how do you help kids want to believe they can achieve. And eventually, the guy who was teaching those classes hired me to come in and be a consultant. And um, this man with W. Clement Stone Mm. was worth $600 million. Mm -hmm. And he's who taught me about goals and affirmations and visualization and persistence and accountability partners and all these kinds of valuable things that I started applying to my life. And one year he said, I want you to set a goal that's totally unbelievable to you. But if you apply the principles I've taught you, you can achieve it. I was making $8,000 a year as a teacher. And um, this is way back in 1968. So, you know, it's a while ago. And um, today's teachers make a little more than that. But anyway, I uh, made $100,000, you know, $92,000. I set a goal for $100,000, but made ninety-two, And I thought, wow, this really works, you know. So then I started being hired to be a teacher, to go around to schools all around the Midwest and teach this work that was out of his foundation called the W. Clement-Jesse B. Stone Foundation. And then someone said, you need to come back to the University of Massachusetts, be a doctoral student, hmm. get a degree on psychological education. Mm-hmm. I went back and did all the courses, but I never wrote my dissertation. They started a retreat center teaching all this stuff and uh, wrote a book called A Hundred Ways to Enhance Self-Concept in the Classroom. It sold 400,000 copies, which no education book ever does. Uh-huh. And uh, it kind of launched me on the path of being a trainer, an author, a speaker. And it kept evolving over time. I worked for a company called Insight Training Seminars. We used to do 500 people in a weekend. I remember once doing 17 of those in a row and uh, got really good at it. And then I quit, started my own company, Wrote the Chicken Soup for the Soul book, changed my life. You know, I mean, one year I made $6 million off royalties. I was like, whoa, this is incredible. (laughs) Little Jackie Cantrell from Wheeling, West Virginia, you know. Yeah. And uh, that turned into a momentous series, which now has uh, 600 million books, over half a billion books. Uh And and then I do the success principles, workshops, breakthrough to success, Uh coaching programs like you've been in. Uh And uh, pretty much brings me up to date
0: that's amazing jack i mean it's it's so fascinating just just to i as you're as you're t- describing and i you know hearing your story seeing yourself and yeah, tell us in, in that journey what were the difficulties what were the challenges you know that you faced or was all uh-huh. like easy and flowing or well i mean
1: everything was challenging i mean i went from a, a private school to harvard where i was graduated third in my class my freshman year i got all c's because yeah. everyone there was like the valedictorian of their high school you know <laughs> and um so I, I took all the wrong classes i took these big survey classes like you know uh, economics one social studies <laughs> one it's like you know that you had to memorize a million things yeah. and it was way it was just bad counseling and um later on i i did get better grades but that was hard Mm-hmm. just adjust to that. and I was also poor. I mean lower middle class, not poor. but I'm all of a sudden I'm surrounded by people with names like Larry Rockefeller, mm. uh, Danforth, uh, the, 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 the the people whose father owned you know airlines and things like that. I mean it was mm-hmm. like surrounded by rich kids and so that was that was challenging. just that mm-hmm. was working a job on campus just to make ends meet you know as, as opposed mm-hmm. to these other kids who were flying home private jets for spring break. I was hitchhiking home uh-huh. through the snow into West Virginia <laughs> from Massachusetts. So that was interesting. Uh, adjusting to teaching all black kids from the ghetto, that was a, a challenge at first, to learn how to deal with the cultural differences and be relevant. Uh-huh. Um, and then I think for me, starting out, my my, my first wife was a therapist and I, I learned how to be a therapist. Uh-huh. And uh, what was challenging about that was I didn't feel my impact was big enough. I'm in a room mm-hmm. with neurotic people all day long, like six to eight people. Mm-hmm. And eventually they'd get better and go off and have these great lives. And I'd be stuck in this room <laughs> 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 dealing with all these people that had anxieties and depression. Yeah, And so I really wanted to do more and I wanted to start learning large groups. Well, then the issue becomes, how do you attract people mm-hmm. to come train with you? So that was challenging. And then I realized one year, all the people doing the work I wanted to do lived in California, I was living in Massachusetts. So I sold uh, our home and uh, moved to California. I had no job, oh. and just decided I was gonna try to make it work. And I had run across someone who created something called the One Year Seminar, uh-huh. that if you could just do 30 people, uh, 100 people at $30 a piece, that's $3,000 a month, because you one Saturday a month. Yep. So I went around and did some talks at schools and got these, you know, three people from here, two people from there, to come and commit to a year of of, of, we- of weekends, you know, like Saturdays. And I rented this church function room, and I was making three thousand a month, working one day a month at that point. It gave me time to write. I wrote another book mm-hmm. during that period of time, mm-hmm. but it was definitely a stretch. I mean, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. a natural salesman. I can sell, but I had m I'm much more in- introverted than I am extroverted. Yeah, and what's um, called a situational extrovert. I can choose to do it when I want to, but it's not my nature. Yep. You see like all these books behind me, I'd rather be reading those kind of thing. Okay. So that was challenging. My divorce was challenging, mm. you know, um, by then I had made a lot of money and my wife took all the money and I got to keep my job, basically, They valued my company at about $8 million. And uh, she had, we had $8 million in stocks and bonds and she took all that and I got to keep my job, as I say. Oh. So I was, I'm uh, like wearing the same shirt three days in a row and, you know, just like, trying to rebuild, which I did, uh-huh. but it was a very difficult year. And I had to work on also forgiving her and her lawyer because I didn't think it was a fair deal. It turned out in the long run, it was a better deal uh. because when I sold chicken soup for the soul many, many years later, I would have had to give it all half to her, which I didn't because it was already handled. Uh. So I ended up actually in better shape. I teach people, as you know, the universe is always happening for you, not to you. Uh-huh. But sometimes we think it's too because it's in the short term, it looks like we're being screwed. But in the long term, yeah. You know, it turns out better. But, you know, those those are some of the challenges. I think getting older is, you know, I'm starting to want to s- slow down a little bit, but I've got 12 staff with children, and how do I do that? Help them transition or legacy, keep this company going without me being the center of it. Uh-huh. That's a little bit of a challenge. Anyway, those are some of the things.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, through through, through all of that, I, I I mean, thank you for sharing all of that. And, and I can imagine... If you, uh, during some of those challenges had voices in your head or or have you ever had doubt that, you know, you will make it like, you know, facing what you just described with your divorce, you know, having, keeping your job, but now you have your dream. Like, did you ever have that voice that sometimes we have that, like, who are you or, or those limiting beliefs or have you worked on those your whole life and that's.
1: I, de- I never thought I wouldn't be able to survive and feed myself and uh-huh. do the basics. But I never, I you know, when I was younger, I didn't perceive myself being where I am now. I mean, a uh-huh. little kid from West Virginia, we had a 50th worst education system in the state. So we had, uh, you know, we were, like I said, lower, lower middle class. But the reality was um, that I kept more than having the huge dream in the beginning it was like do the next thing that's in front of me do it well Mm -hmm. like graduate from school get a job I'm a teacher teach well you know I got the teacher of the year award my first year from all the students you know because I cared Mm -hmm. and I put a lot of time and energy into it and so it was always like do the next thing as best as you can and then some other opportunity would emerge from that you know and then it was make a decision sometimes it was a scary decision you know like moving to California Uh, but it felt right. And I always trusted my intuition and yeah, figured yeah. that God, the universe, was on my side. Mm. And so, you know, I've had doubts. I mean, I I did a workshop for the Santa Barbara Police Department. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of Mr. Love and Light. I'm thinking, like, are they going to like this, yeah. you know? And they did. Uh, did a workshop for Marine Corps recruiters. I did a workshop in mm-hmm. 51 different countries. Always wondering, is this going to work in Russia? Is this going to work in Iran? Is this yeah. going to work in China, you know? And um, it always did. Mm-hmm. I had a couple failures. Once I did a workshop for mm-hmm. a high school, it was a Friday night. The kids were just in the playtime. The parents dropped them off. They were supposed to be there. There were no teachers or supervised. They had this radio announcer who was a DJ come on to hype everybody up and then turned it over to me. It was, oh, like, my it, was God. Like, it was like 800 kids in a gym going crazy, you know? Uh-huh. Today, I know how to deal with that. That was like 30 years ago. but you know i had those moments where i was like oh that that sucked Uh you know could i do that again in the future am i any good at this really um and then you know you write a book you hope people like it you never know for sure you design a new seminar yep you think it'll work but you're not sure so you 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 just you just have to step out and know that if it doesn't work i'll learn something so i can do it better i'll give you an example I used to do this workshop where we had a huge emotional cathartic release exercise called the total truth where people would bang on chairs with towels and scream, I hate you to their parents and Uh, get all the anger out and stuff. uh And, um, and I, the first time I used that, I did it on the Sunday afternoon of a weekend workshop and everyone was like totally like just plugged into all their emotions. And then it was over. It was like, Whoa, that's bad. So the next time we did it on Saturday and then we had Sunday to kind of put it all back together again. That was, it's it's still a great workshop exercise, but it was done in the wrong sequence. Yeah. And so I've made mistakes, yeah. you know, um, but you have to just try things and see if they work or not, or, or you'll never get to where you want to go.
0: Yeah. I, you know, it's so true, Jack. And you know, that I, I admire so much persistence and how much you, um, you show us, you know, be responsible, be like, you know, hundred percent responsibility, which you, you always teach about. Now um, let's let's switch gear a little bit about rejection because you uh-huh. I, I I just want to share I want I want you to share this story about you and chicken soup for the soul and, and so many times I have you try and why you never gave up or you know tell us a little bit where is that coming from in Jack?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I you know. I was flying home from Boston, I think, to L.A. at the time. I was living in Los Angeles, I was living in Santa Barbara about 90 minutes north now. And um, I used a lot of stories. I learned that with my kids in high school. If I told a story, they'd be in the edge of their seat. You know, if uh-huh. I was telling historical facts or looking out the window, you know. So I learned to put the things I wanted to teach into story form and tell stories about slave owners and slaves. and escaped slaves and whatever, because we were teaching you know, African-American history. And um, so and if I'd even tell my talk about my weekend, the kids would be like this, you know, whatever. So uh, I understood the power of story. So when I was teaching teachers, which is what I was doing at that time, I would use a lot of stories. And I I was coming back on a plane. I just had, oh, no, someone said, that story about the Girl Scout who sold 3,000 boxes of Girl Scout cookies in one year, which I had told that day. Send a book anywhere. My daughter needs to hear that story. And I said, no. And then another day, someone said say, story you told about the puppy. I said, no. And all of a sudden, I get all these people are asking for yeah. these stories. Are they in a book anywhere? Mm-hmm. And so I'm coming home on a plane and I, like hit my head and go, oh, I'm supposed to put these stories in a book. So I made a list of all the stories and there was about 70 of them. And uh, I, I said, I'm going to write two stories a week, one Monday through Wednesday, Thursday through Saturday. And uh, at the end of the year, I'll have at least 100 stories because there's 52 weeks times two. So I did that. And... Um, that so now i got these stories and i go to sell the book and get rejected by every publisher in new york 22 publishers in three days had meetings with them yeah. and went to the uh, american booksellers association uh which was meeting in anaheim california that year and i lived in la so i went down there and talked to some of the editors and got rejected by all of them so at that point i had about 141 rejections wow <laughs> people don't read short stories they're too nicey-nice because they're all positives. Pollyanna, mm-hmm. the world's harder than that, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, so then I submitted it to this one publisher at that meeting, you know, and he said, no. And someone had told me that that during that conference, when someone tells you no, ask them what would have to happen for them to say yes. So I said, what would have to happen for you to say yes? And he said, I'd have to know I could sell 20,000 copies. Okay. So Mark and I, my co-author of the book, we went out. Anytime we gave a talk, we'd put a sheet on a piece on a chair that said, I promised to buy blank number of copies of Chicken Soup for the Soul when it's published, name and address. This would be four emails mm-hmm. even, Nin, 90, 91, 92. And um, when we had 20,000 know, promises to buy, we'd put them in a banker's box, took them to Florida, put it on the publisher's desk, and he said, okay. So it was 145th time that we tried yes. to sell it. Wow. Now, why didn't I give up? I think because that I felt like the book was divinely inspired. I knew people wanted it because they kept asking for it. It didn't match the paradigms of the publishing world because in the publishing world, nobody bought a lot of collections of short stories, but they were always literary short stories. They weren't true stories. So they didn't really know the genre because there wasn't a genre. We created it in a sense. And um, I just knew in my heart I would have self-published it if I had to. I'm glad I didn't because I didn't want to run a book company. I wanted to be out teaching and uh-huh. doing all that. But uh, there was just this knowing, this knowing. I think when you get, I'll call it divine guidance, uh-huh. then you know you've experienced that. Uh-huh. You know there's a calling you get that you yeah. just know this you're supposed to do, and it's not always easy. But the support's there ultimately, you know. And I think we get tested. What's your level of commitment, you know? And so desk. it was definitely a, desk. it took 14 months to find a publisher.
0: Wow. Yeah, definitely incredible. And I think the, the resilience and just never giving up is what makes a difference. Sometimes hearing 144 no's might discourage someone, right? But it didn't for you.
1: That- well, I don't know if you know this. You probably do, but Charles Schultz, who, uh, Howard Schultz, who started a, uh, um, the coffee company. Um, what is it called? I can a Brain freeze at the moment.
0: Starbucks?
1: Um, Starbucks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He started Starbucks. Well, he got turned down by 217 banks and investors before he got a yes yeah. to open his first location. Mm-hmm. So you have to be... Have to just be willing to hear the no. Know that yeah. the yes is out there.
0: Yeah. Behind every no, it, it's a potential yes, right?
1: That's right. That's right.
0: Now, Jack, Um. how... Someone that is listening right now, if they don't know where to start, how they have some limiting beliefs, they they have never dreamed big, like, what would you say that could be their first step to take?
1: Well, first of all, it's a mindset thing. You have to choose to believe that if you have a dream, whatever a dream is, maybe it's something you had when you were a kid. Maybe it's what you dreamed of when you were in college or thinking about getting out of the army or whatever. That you couldn't have that dream if you didn't have the capacity to fulfill it. Mm -hmm. Now you might have to learn new things, partner up with people, get certifications you don't have. Might take years to do that. Mm -hmm. But you know, it took me years to get the chicken soup thing off the ground. So the the other thing is, we didn't hit a bestseller list for another eighteen months after the book came out. So you know, you're looking at three years of from having the manuscript to actually doing anything. And so, if you believe that it's possible you choose to believe it belief is a choice that's what most people don't understand uh-huh. they look at the outer world they see the outer world as, as the reality they live in They say well no one like me can do that you know uh and the fact is no one from my family ever went to college no one from my family ever got married no one ever started the business you know we don't have money uh-huh. you know i'm black and i'm gay and i live in a alabama you know there's uh-huh. like three strikes against you right there and so the reality is i mean not the you and the but that culture is not going to, it's not going to be an easy one for you. Uh-huh. So, what happens is that um, we just have to choose. Muhammad Ali has a great quote that I've been using a lot lately. He says, Impossible is a big word used by small people who think, who would rather live in a world that other people have created than the one you want to create for yourself. Uh-huh. And so, he changes the impossible to I'm possible, I uh-huh. apostrophe am possible. Uh-huh. And you know, he was not the greatest when he first said that. I'm the greatest. But he kept saying it and he kept believing it. He kept acting like it was true. And eventually he became the greatest at that time. Okay. So I think, first of all, decide. I always tell people, if someone, if a genie came down or out of a bottle and said, look, you can do anything you want, but you have to do something. Okay. you know, And I'll, I'll guarantee you a million dollars a year, but you got to do something. What would you choose to do? Okay. I like, go, oh, I'd, I'd be a tennis instructor or I'd, I'd start a school in Africa or I'd start, you know. Uh, you know, there's a cyber thing you're doing, whatever it is, you know, what happens is if you just get clear about what you want uh-huh. and believe it, and then ask yourself the question, what is one simple, small step I could take uh-huh. to move in that direction? And then begin to turn it from a vision, like I'd like to be an entrepreneur, or I'd like to be an author, or I'd like to be a football coach or whatever, turn it into a goal. I will be coaching a high school football team by this date. I will uh-huh. be earning you know, $20,000 a year, 100000 a year, million a year, whatever. But always how much by when. Mm-hmm. So it's very specific. Uh-huh. And then have an affirmation that says, I'm so happy and grateful that I'm now earning, you know, 50000 a year. I'm so happy and grateful I'm now coaching football, whatever. Most people don't understand the power of creating new neural pathways in the brain mm-hmm. by repeating the thing you want as if it's already happened. I'm so happy and grateful that I now am whatever. Mm-hmm. What happens is, when you do that over and over your subconscious mind says you know jack's not going to give us up we better figure out how to do this Fair. you know because it's creating tension in your mind and your brain wants to resolve tension okay anyone listening to this in music knows if you hit a seventh chord mm-hmm. anyone in music wants to resolve it with a full chord if you know that the guy upstairs has two two legs and function and two feet and you hear one foot drop you're waiting for the other shoe to drop you uh-huh. know because it's not complete yet uh-huh. and so We're purposely creating tension in the brain by saying I'm enjoying my vacation in Hawaii when we're not. And then the brain says, We either gonna figure out how to get Jack to stop having this dream, or we need to figure out how to get him to Hawaii. And so that's how the subconscious brain works. But to do that, you're creating new neural pathways. What does that mean? Your brain is made up of series of neurons or like electrical circuits. Mm -hmm. And the old thinking, the old beliefs, I'm not enough, I can't do it, no no one in my family's ever done this, you know, you know, whatever. What happens is you've got to replace that with a new neural pathway through repetition. That uh-huh. says, I can do this. I am able to do this. I am doing this. And that takes, you know, think about it. if you've been thinking um, that you're not worthy for 40 years, uh-huh. it might take a few months to yeah. change that belief. But if you do it consistently, there's some new pr- new information in neuroscience that says within 12 weeks you can change your thinking patterns. Totally. If you're
0: persistent wow that's that's fascinating jack because you know just this week i had this dream crazy dream in the middle of, you know 2 a.m in the morning and i woke up thinking about limit tech beliefs like limit and tech because how so many times i hear i hate technology i don't like technology i'm not good at i mean i'm not tech savvy and you know is exactly sometimes what we said to ourselves over and over. And that makes our relationship with technology so much, you know, so much harder, but also in in my world of cyber, it's something that I'm right now thinking, okay, it might be a reason why we don't want to update our phone, or we don't want to take some of the actions in the cybersecurity space. Because we have these linitech beliefs that we have been saying to us over and over. So thank you for sharing this science behind this.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, and, you know, it, it's funny because especially if you're older, a lot of older people think they can't do what the kids do with mm-hmm. their cell phones. And, mm-hmm. you know, I still use two finger, one finger instead of thumbs, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of times my nephew will say, here's how it's done, you know, no more. But the reality is, I'm just thinking back to when I was teaching high school and I was teaching my kids how to be successful, not just in history, but everything. These kids would I say, How many of you are bad at math? After the class was raised or him. And so we'd chant, Math is easy and fun. Mm-hmm. For about two minutes. Math is easy and fun. Math is easy and fun. Math is mm-hmm. easy and fun. And their beliefs about it would start to change. Their math scores would go up, you know. So, you know, if 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 someone is there a word like technophobe, there must be someone is a phobic of technology, you know? And <laughs> afraid you're going to make a mistake, hit the wrong button. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to mess mm-hmm. it up. I'm going to erase my social security number and I'll never be able to get my mm-hmm. taxes done again or whatever, um, which is not really going to happen. But the reality is that, that and here's the thing too, when, you, when you're when you not good at something and find somebody who is, so you're good at, at, at cyber security, you're good at technical things. Um, and so work with you. You know, if you want to be a football coach, find someone who's a good coach, learn how to be a coach, you know. And I think too many times people are afraid to admit they're ignorant, afraid that they don't know. There's nothing shameful about not knowing. What's shameful is continuing to not know when there's someone that can coach you to be successful. And there's a lot of expense uh, associated with losing your identity theft, you know, that that stuff happens. A lot of expense when you can't find your passcodes and people steal them and so on and so forth. I mean, I've many, many friends who've lost money, business leads, they've you know their whole computer's been wiped out, you know, etc, and it's unnecessary. It is
0: uh, to happen. Absolutely, so true, Jack. Now, um, is there a question, Jack, that you would love to answer that I did not ask you as we we're wrapping up the, the interview or something that you want to share with the audience? listening to us right you now. You
1: would ask me, Jack, how can people get in touch with you if they want to?
0: <laughs> yeah, I will ask you that too. <laughs> of course.
1: <laughs> no, I think, good. I'll, I'll, then I won't answer that now. So, but I think the the one thing I would say to everybody is, I go back to the idea that you can't have a dream without the capacity to make it happen. Mm-hmm. You, you may have to develop your talents. Mm-hmm. They, may, they may need some work, you know. Uh, if you want to play the piano, you got to practice, you know, mm-hmm. the, like practicing your affirmations. Uh, same neural pathways have to be built for moving your fingers around on the keyboard. And so I think that if there's something you've always wanted to do, start today again, ask what's one little step. Mm -hmm. I remember someone who now is a singer in Nashville, very successful. Um, she once was a student of mine and she was asked, you know, what, what, what do you really want to do? So I want to be a country Western singer. What's the first thing you can do? I could buy a guitar. Okay, what else could you do? I could take lessons. What else could you do? I could find out down at the Holiday Inn, they always have an entertainer on the weekends. How does that happen? I'm gonna go ask them. So little things like uh-huh. that. Uh-huh. And that was the first step, little steps, doable steps. You know, Like if you wanna go back to school, maybe the first thing is to uh, go online and pick two schools, get their catalogs, figure out how to do it, You know, whatever. But little baby steps over time, equal success. Most people think they have to do one big thing. It's like a little bit over time. If you write one page a day at the end of the year, you have a 365 page book. So there's no reason not to start.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Love that. Thank you for sharing that. And now Jack, my last two questions that I ask everyone. What is your favorite piece of technology and why? I
1: would have to say it's a tie between my cell phone and my laptop, Mm -hmm. but uh, the fact that I can go to Mexico, as I did last week, and have a conversation on faith time with my grandson in New York, or uh, text you, or watch the news, or go to YouTube on my phone and watch the soccer match happening in Qatar, it's it's a miracle, Mm -hmm. you know? And I mean, when I was a kid, when I was a when I was a graduate student at the University of Chicago, there was a building bigger than my house that that housed the first computer, mm-hmm. and they had tubes in them. There were tubes in the computer. Yeah, and you know the the old phrase about when you have a bug in the program, uh-huh. there were actually insects that would get in there and land on the tubes and short out the tubes. That's where the term <laughs> bug in the computer comes from. And now, you know, you can have your 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 Fitbit, near your, your iPhone, uh, iWatch, you know, or whatever, and it it's it's astounding to me, uh-huh. you know. And and the other thing, I wear this thing called an aura ring. Yeah, you've probably heard of it. Yeah, I have one too.
0: Me, here, yeah,
1: it tells me <laughs> in the Love morning it. how many hours of sleep I got, how much was REM, how much was deep. Yep. If I woke up during the night, how many steps I took during the day. Uh-huh. It tells me I need more exercise. You know, whatever. Yeah, it's um, it's it. They're all great. So, um, and and God knows we have TVs now that you can literally. <laughs> Get thousands of movies you can watch. You know, yes. when I was a kid, there were three channels: ABC, NBC, and CBS, and they went off the air at eleven thirty. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember the, the, just the the black, line at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah
1: exactly. <laughs>
0: Static. <laughs>
1: exactly. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah. Now, Jack, I, I want you to think about your phone for a second, uh-huh. and tell us three things. Why you are grateful for your
1: phone? I, I'm well, i one I miss. I'm grateful that I can communicate uh-huh. with my grandson yep. uh, who lives in Brooklyn and I live in California. and grateful that I can um, tune into the CNN news every day and very quickly figure out, you know, like anything I should really know about. I, I really love that part of it. <laughs> and... um this is gonna sound silly, but my phone has a flashlight in it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so at night I can travel around my property. I have three acres of land that I live on, and it's not always it's not all lit up. And as silly as that sounds, at my age being seventy eight, not tripping over things, the fact that that's in my phone yeah. is is a miracle, and I love it.
0: Oh, thank you so much for sharing that, and I love my flashlight too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, thank you, Jack. This has been so amazing. I'm so grateful for you and for your time and for for sharing us, you know, the, everything about your story and and give us all giving us also some some tactics and things that we can do for 2023. That's just coming up. So we yeah really appreciate yeah. it. So thank you. Well, I
1: answer I answer the question I wanted you to ask me, which is how can people get a hold of me? Yes, just go to my website jackcanfield.com. Just uh, my name, Jack Canfield, C-A-N-F-I-E-L-D.com. And there's all kind of online courses and books and programs and uh, downloads, free downloads of all kinds and access to my YouTube channel, uh, which I have a Jack Canfield YouTube channel. You can find out about my work. We do seminars live and in-person and uh, coaching programs. So I'd love to have any of one who's watching, uh, we'd love to be able to support you to achieve your dreams.
0: Absolutely. And uh, we, we're gonna have all those links, don't worry. They are gonna be all listed in the episode, so you're gonna have access to all of that information too. Great. So thank you so much, Jack, and
1: my pleasure. Thanks for being my cyber coach. I appreciate
0: it. <laughs> thank you, and we'll see you next time. Bye for now. Ciao ciao. Thank you for listening. I'm so grateful for you today. So if you enjoyed this episode, please tag me in social media at way to protect. Again, it's way number two protect. And let me know if this episode has helped you. I would love to hear from you. And if you like to know more about me, check out my resources at my website, sandraestock.com. And remember, be intentional, be aware, and be mindful. Be I am. Be I am now.